Get ready for unique, rare, and little-known treasures from the golden age of radio. You're listening to The Amazing World of Radio with Adam Graham. Welcome to The Amazing World of Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. Our Jack Webb Centennial Series continues, and we're going to bring you another uh, couple 15-minute episodes And here we kind of shift our focus for the remaining three episodes of the series, you know, counting this one, as we're moving to the post-Dragnet era, where uh, Webb was not doing as many appearances on other people's radio programs. And so the ones that he did choose, you know, they had to be ones that appealed to him in some way. So uh, we're going to start out with another episode of Guest Star. And this one originally aired June 21st, 1953, and the title is By Mere Coincidence. The United States Treasury Department presents Guest Star with Harry Sosnick and the Defense Bonds Orchestra, Yours truly, John Conti, and starring Jack Webb. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is John Conti, your host for Guest Star, a transcribed feature for Defense Bonds, presented by this station as a public service. Your maturing Series E Defense Bonds can go right on earning interest for you for as much as 10 years longer. If you don't need the cash right now, hold those bonds at interest and keep on buying more defense bonds through the payroll savings plan where you work or the bond-a-month plan where you bank. In a moment, we'll introduce Jack Webb. First, Harry Sosnick and the Defense Bonds Orchestra present Harry's own arrangement of the stirring Lady of Spain.
Thank you, Harry. And now our guest, the popular young dramatic star of radio, motion pictures, and television, Jack Webb. He appears in an original guest star sketch entitled, By Mere Coincidence. We take you now to Hollywood and Jack Webb. My name's Christopher Adams. I'm 33 years of age, 5 feet 11, 172 pounds, black hair. I'm a salesman with Durham Industrial Supply. Two days ago, I came to Washington, D.C. to wrap up some last-minute business before beginning a much-needed two-week vacation. On the run from Washington, D.C. back to New York, that's where the whole incident began. The incident that almost cost me my freedom. A couple of minutes out of Washington, I thought I could feel somebody standing next to the empty seat beside me. It was a fat man, expensively dressed. Before he sat down, he tossed his briefcase up next to mine on the bag rack. I settled my head back against the seat and started thinking about that two-week vacation. Well, the train bell woke me up, we'd stopped. We were in Pennsylvania Station. The seat next to me was empty. The fat man was gone. I yanked my briefcase down from the bag rack and headed up the ramp for the cab stand. It was 11.30 when the cab dropped me off in front of my apartment building. I let myself into my room, flipped the light switch, tossed my briefcase on the bed, and that's when I saw him. The gold initials on the case. The initials J.G. The fat man had picked up my briefcase and I picked up his. Well, in mine, there was nothing of real value, but what about the fat man? What did it contain? Might hold something very important. I had to get in touch with him immediately. I tried the lock on the case, and it snapped open. I took out the contents. First, a sheaf of papers that contained some kind of odd drawing sketches of some kind. And then my hand closed around the steel barrel of a gun. Well, the drawings looked like floor plans. The photograph that slipped out of the drawings told me what plan. Just a minute. Mr. Adams? Yes, I'm... Inside, please. What's going on here? Come on, Gregor. He's here. Ah, yes. Yes, good. Now, look, I don't know what this is Close the door, Maxie. Yes, come on, Gregor. Ah, I see you have examined the contents of my briefcase, Mr. Adams. Well, I was only trying to find out who the case belonged to. Please, Mr. Adams. How well did you examine the contents? You know them well enough to go to the police? Hey, now, look here. I don't know what you're talking about. All I did was... Of course not. You are stupid. So stupid. You Americans make many heroics when the so-called chips are down. No, let me... Not here, Maxim. It is time. Put the papers back in the briefcase. Yes. What are you trying to do here? Who? You good time. You shall know, sir. You good time. Ready, Maxim? Yes, come on, Gregor. Good. Now, Mr. Adams, uh, you will come along with Manor for, I promise you, a short life. Shall we go? Well, a fat man, Gregor, and his accomplice herded me out of the apartment, down into their car. At the curb, they put a blindfold over my eyes and told me to keep quiet. Two minutes later, I'd lost all sense of direction. Fifteen minutes later, the car came to a stop. I was roughly guided up some squeaky wooden steps and ushered into a warm room. Take the blindfold off, Maxie. Yes, comrade. There. That is better, is it not, Mr. Adams? So, how do you like your new home for the next few days? Just fine. Now, look, what's this all about? See, you are not stupid after all, Mr. Adams. 
Well, I surveyed the room with a lone lamp on the table, the table that stood between Gregor and myself. Maxime was moving toward me in his hand. He held a gun. Well, I thought it was now or never, so I made a pass at the table. Delights! Get the Maxime! Yes, come here! I hit Gregor from behind. I heard him hit the floor. And then I caught the outline of Maxime against the window. I dived for him. I yanked his arms around behind his back and forced him around in front of me. He's here, come on, Gregor! He's here! Maxime! Maxime, where are you? Dead, Gregor. Where are you? Speak again. I got your partner's gun, Gregor. Speak again, fool. Oh, no. You're the fool, Gregor. When are you guys going to wise up? You're not going to rule the world. Doesn't your comrade know that? There are too many free men who love freedom. Free men are simple fools who only know the simple things. Your speech bores you. No, it doesn't bore you, Gregor. It hurts you. Destroy the free. That's your five-year plan. Well, let me tell you something. For every free man you destroy, there'll be two more to take his place. You're nothing but a hot-headed salesman trying to impress me with your schoolboy heroics. You know, Gregor, I was just thinking, if I die here, I really got a lot more to lose than you. Wait, wait, uh, Mr. Adams, there is no need for these heroics. Nobody's trying to be a hero. Let us have a pot. Yeah, sure, you guys are famous for your parlies, aren't you? Wait, look, I throw down my gun. You heard it? You did the same. Yeah. Good. Now open the door so we have some luck. Sure. You fit this You didn't think I trusted you, did you, comrade? I'm... I'm dying. I... No, you'll live. I'm not that good a shot. <laughs> no, you're going to live. Wait till the boys hear that, huh? No. No. Yeah, comrade Gregor. You're going to live. Well, I'm on my vacation. I'm enjoying the so-called simpler things in life. The beach, the sun, the cool drinks, and the pretty girls. Yeah, simple things, enjoyed only by free men. That was a fine performance, Jack Webb, as always. Well, thank you, Ted. Of course, the same for you. And I enjoy doing it, and it's especially nice to be appearing on a defense bond program again. You picked a good time for your return appearance, Jack, because now you know defense bonds are a better investment than ever. Yeah, I know that, Ted. I've always been a strong believer in defense bonds because they're a safe and sure investment. And with the new features, well, they're now even better. But the most important thing to me is the fact that bonds provide a perfect way to save, not only for your own future security, but for your country's defense as well. Right. Defense bonds are now even better. Now defense bonds pay more interest and have a shorter maturity period. Two, we can all play a part in our country's defense effort by signing up for the payroll savings plan or the bond a month plan. Those two automatic plans that make saving easy and systematic. Yes, these automatic plans make it possible to save before we spend, and that's important. So, friends, may I suggest that you sign up today for your country's defense and your own future security by enrolling in the payroll savings plan to buy defense bonds. There's no better investment in the world. Thank you, Jack Webb. And now Harry Sosnick leads the Defense Bonds Orchestra in a musical finale, Johnny Green's unforgettable Body and Soul. 
have been listening to Guest Star, a transcribed feature for defense bonds presented by this station each week as a public service. Our thanks to Jack Webb for a fine performance and to his supporting players, Ted DeCorsia and Fritz Feld, and his director, Louis Graff. Next week, we'll have another favorite star and more good music by Harry Sosnick and the Defense Bonds Orchestra. So we hope you'll be with us. In the meantime, this is John Conti saying so long and reminding you that regular savings today means security tomorrow. Invest in defense bonds where you work or bank. Welcome back. Uh, the scenario couldn't, I couldn't help but be reminded of Border Town, uh, with, uh, him riding beside a fat guy and, uh, getting a, uh, mysterious package. But we get a nice little battle between, uh, Jack Webb and Communist. And I think it's pretty enjoyable, uh, bit of Cold War uh, storytelling. I do think at the end he does overstate his cases, you know, suggesting that only free people enjoy uh, pretty girls. He was probably right about the sun, sun, but that probably had more to do with them being in Russia. But at any rate, an interesting 15 minutes, and certainly it's a, a very different tone, uh, reflecting the Cold War as opposed to the uh, more immediate post-World War II era of his earlier appearances on Guest Star, which were definitely lighter stories, less focused on uh, the whole uh, question of national security as the topic of the play. Uh, and here, this one's definitely a bit more hard-edged. All right, well, we're going to bring you another series. Uh, this one is called The Hour of St. Francis. Uh, the Hour of St. Francis was a regular radio feature that was appropriately 15 minutes long. This episode aired June the 17th, 1951, as the Korean War was uh, going on. And the title is, Welcome Home, Soldier. The Hour of St. Francis, whose chief concern is to speed the return of peace in the heart, in the home, and in the world hopes that the program you are about to hear will be a long stride in the direction of that peace. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Jack Webb. We have a letter that we'd like you to hear. This letter is addressed to Private Thomas T. Williams, but it was written for our country, for our world, and for you. Dear Tom, I'm writing you this letter because I read about you in the paper yesterday. Your story filled a half a column over on page two under a headline that read, 
quadruple amputee back from war zone. Well, I read how you'd been wounded, how you'd crawled across the ice of a frozen reservoir, how you'd lost both arms and both legs from frostbite and gangrene. I read that you were 22 years old, but it was the last sentence in the story that made me write you this letter. I can see you, Tom, being lifted out of a hospital plane on a stretcher. I can see the reporters and the photographers rush up to you. Tom, I'm from the Evening News. I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. I'd like to get a picture, Tom. Uh, turn your face just a little this way. Go away and leave me alone. Oh, this will only take a minute. All I want is a couple of words. Come on, Tom. Let's have just one picture, huh? Go on away. You think you've got me cornered, don't you? You know I can't smash that lousy camera. You know I can't get up and run. Get out of here and leave me alone! Try not to be disgusted with this, Tom. The reporters and the photographers were just doing their job. But it was more than just a job this time. You're news, you know. But you're really more than news. Well, if I was talking to you, Tom, I know you'd stop me. I could just hear you say I don't something. want my picture in the paper so everybody can feel sorry for me and feel darn glad it isn't them. I don't want pity. I don't want maudlin sentiment. Don't hand me any publicity or any medals. Give me back my right arm so I can hit a baseball. Give me back my left arm so I can catch it. Give me back my leg so I can jump the front fence on my way home from work. Give me back my feet so I can drive my own car. Give me back my, my arms to hold the girl I wanted to marry. All right, Tom. Just one more kiss. That's what I want. I don't want to be a freak. Oh, sure, that's what you'd say, Tom. And I know how you feel. You don't want everybody staring at you. Well, I remember how I used to go to the circus. It's only ten years, Tom, since you were young enough to get a real kick out of a circus, including the freaks. Step right up, folks. Get your tickets here for the breathtaking attractions and the stupendous events of the greatest sideshow on Earth. The most marvelous collection of strange and mysterious human beings ever assembled under one tent. See baby Susan, 300 pounds, an old woman. See the tallest living man in the world. See the armless, legless wonder. He has no hands. He has no feet. See him write a letter. See him play the piano. The armless, legless wonder of the world. But you're wrong, Tom. We don't want your picture because you're a freak. We're not going to stare at you out of ghoulish curiosity. Tom, you're an idea. You're a symbol. We have to be interested in you. If I was talking to you, I know you'd stop me again. You'd probably say something like this. Sure, I'm interesting. You get a kick out of trying to figure out how I manage to live when I can't do anything but breathe. Why don't the photographers take a picture of a nurse spooning oatmeal into my mouth or washing my face? I can't even wipe my own nose. Why don't they get a picture of a nurse holding a handkerchief to my nose and telling me to blow? An 
might still say you got us wrong, Tom. Now we have to be interested in you because you're our conscience. Our conscience and our pride. We look at you with reverence and respect. The kind of reverence we give the unknown soldier. The unknown soldier is a symbol too. He stands for God only knows how many soldiers who died for a dream. We buried him there in the quiet of the cemetery and we thought we left him in peace. But we let our conscience go to sleep too. And we dreamed that we'd found peace. We forgot how we had prayed to God to end this war. And we thought that we'd saved the world for democracy all by ourselves. We thought we could build the brave new world with only our own muscles and our own minds. Tom, we bought you a ticket to Korea years before you were born. This time, you're the known soldier. In 1939, the guns turned our dream into a nightmare, but we didn't wake up, Tom. We talked in our sleep, the war to end all wars, one world, United Nations. Then Korea. We're awake now, Tom. Korea opened our eyes. Now we see you, our known soldier. You're the sum of all our mistakes, our selfishness, our evasion. We let this happen to you, we the people. We're responsible. We did all the wrong things in conference rooms, in business offices, in houses all the way from the restricted residential districts to the slums. Tom, you're what happens when a rich man says, give the poor a subsistence allowance so they won't make any noise when they starve, but keep them away from my door. You're what happens when we draw the color line so that a man with a dark skin can't eat in the same room with us, but he can trail blood as red as ours down the mountain passes of Korea. You're what happens when we sell our scrap iron to any country with a fistful of dollars and then ship you off to meet their flying shrapnel. You're what happens when statesmen pool their brain power in the councils of the nations and they consult everybody but God. You're not only our conscience, Tom. You're our pride. You're our assurance that we haven't gone entirely soft and rotten. We can still produce men who will go through hell because it's their duty. Now, oh, we need to look at you, Tom. You stand for the only thing that can pull this world of ours out of the mess that we've got it in. You stand for sacrifice. You're a symbol. A sign that says to the world, stop. You're traveling down the road that leads to destruction. And you're not an original, Tom. You're a copy of another sign. The original stood on a hill outside Jerusalem. It was in the shape of a cross, and there was a figure nailed to it. That sign has never come down from the heart of the human race. 
Or we try to forget it's there. We try to forget everything he taught us about unselfishness and sacrifice. And then you come along. You make us remember. We can't blame the politicians for making us forget, Tom. Politicians are people just like us. Well, it was one of them who first said, What is truth? I am innocent of the blood of this just man. But it was the people, the man in the street, who answered, His blood be upon us and and upon our children! Tom, try to understand us and forgive us. It isn't just the photographers who are asking you for a picture. They're only speaking for the rest of us, for your whole country, who needs to look at you. A million boys are asking you, boys who throw baseballs, who run and jump over fences. Tommy, come home to supper. Tommy? Boys who kick leaves on their way home from school, who feel in their pockets for change to buy a Coke for a girl after a Saturday night show. Boys who fold their hands in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Tom, the mothers and fathers of these million boys need your picture. They need it for themselves so they can look at it and think. This could be my son. Am I going to let this happen to my boy? Mothers and fathers of these million boys need to show your picture to the politicians, the desk soldiers, and the business-as-usual boys. They need to point at it and say, Look, are you going to let this happen to my son? Well, I had to write this letter, Tom, because I know how those reporters and photographers really felt. The trouble is... They've talked the crooked line of publicity so long that the truth won't come out straight anymore. But this is what they mean, Tom. We need you. Once before you answered your country's call, do it again for a better reason. Face those cameras and the questions as bravely as you face the bullets. Make us realize that we've reached the ultimate in error. We've cost you everything you could give and still live. You can make us ashamed to go on living in evil luxury and soft sin. Let us look at you. Let us see how completely we've robbed you and ourselves. Each emptiness where there should be body and life stands for our own lack of God. We cut off your arms and your legs when we cut God out of our lives. Tom Williams, If your loss brings us back the gain of God, you will be the arms of America spread wide in love to all the world. You'll be the feet of America set straight on the path to peace.
This episode of The Hour of St. Francis, entitled Welcome Home, Soldier, featured Jack Webb as narrator, and was brought to you by the Third Order of St. Francis as a gesture of goodwill to sincere men everywhere. The Third Order is a living society of men and women who in their businesses, professions, and in their daily family lives dedicate themselves to the ideals of St. Francis, and who with St. Francis pray, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Amen. For a copy of the program you have just been listening to, or of the Peace Prayer of St. Francis, write to The Hour of St. Francis in care of the station to which you are listening. Welcome back. Well, I'm not even going to try to provide any commentary on that one. It's a very powerful piece that really does speak for itself. Well, next week we'll be back to half-hour programs uh, and uh, even have a return to escape. You'll want to be sure and listen to that on Monday. And uh, in the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.